Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and uh, welcome to what I think is a really special episode of That Trippy Show. As you all know, I work with Doug Jones, uh, been working with him since uh, a, a night in May uh, where we had dinner and we talked about him running for the U.S. Senate in 2017 and uh, it's been just remarkable working with him. Uh, he spoke at the DNC last Monday, thought he did a great job. Uh, and and really talk to uh, not just honoring uh, John Lewis, but but pulling together uh, across the racial divide and finding common ground. Uh, he's just a great guy. Can't say enough great things about him. He's done an incredible job, I think, um, in the Senate. Here's my conversation with Doug Jones. Well, thanks, Doug, for joining us. Um, I just wanted to, the first thing that strikes me as I watched the convention, though, I was wondering what you were thinking, uh, is when you hear all these folks talking about common ground and uh, uh, a lot of the things that you were talking about in 2017 when you when you started, in, uh, you know, in the campaign together. And then um, the other thing that struck me was like, I think you were the first person to ever say the words, this is about lives and livelihood to me. And now, now we're seeing that everywhere, too. What's that? How, what's your reaction to all that? I had the same reaction. Yeah. Other people have been using that. And, and all the way back to 2017, Joe, the kitchen table issues, the, you know, the right side of history. And I know that had been used before, but it just seemed like since that time in 2017, more and more people have used kitchen table issues. More and more people have used right side of history. And then they, well, like I said, we were, you know, you, the whole theme was common ground in, uh, in 2017. And you kept, you know, if you've kept that going throughout uh, your time in the Senate with one Alabama and then to see, you know, the same kind of uh, uh, talk happening at this convention and, and people like Kasich and, uh, you know, crossing, coming across the aisle, which is something you've worked hard on. Um, is any one of them, those moments or, or things stick out to you? There have been so many great moments with the way this has turned out. I was really worried about a virtual convention and without the rah-rahs and the lights and people screaming and hollering and confetti and things. But um, in many ways, I think this convention has really captured the party and the voices in the party, the diversity of America, the diversity of the of the party, better than we could have at on a stage in a in a uh, convention hall. Uh, I, you know, what really stands out to me is the 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 roll call on Tuesday night. I just thought it was extraordinary. I mean, that is America. That is the Democratic Party. And you're right. The voices across the... St I mean, look, let's be honest. You know, Michelle Obama is still the rock star of the, of the whole convention. Um, Kamala did a great job. You know, she, Jill Biden did a great job. The voices, though, like Monday night when you had Bernie on one hand and Kasich on the other hand with people like me and Cortez Masto and Amy and Jim Clyburn kind of sandwiched in between. I just thought really set the great stage. And you were talking about, you know, the common ground and civility. I, I, use, I said this morning, I had a call with one of the other delegations as well as the Alabama. And I really see this convention as an interesting political movement. Uh, and the movement is not for women's rights or, or in suffrage or civil rights, this movement is really about civility and getting back to rationality and, 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 and the truth. 
just getting back to truth and truth to power. And I think that that's a very, very strong statement going into November. Yeah, I remember, too, uh, along the other one of the first things I heard from you, too, was bringing up the Martin Luther King and, and chaos um, or community. You know, where do we go from here? Right. And really, that that looks a lot like what the choice I mean, that, that, that this convention is about community, about civility, about decency. Um and reaching across to each other. So absolutely. No one used that phrase, but the whole convention, what the party is doing is exactly that trying to pull community out of the chaos we're seeing with this administration, the lack of leadership we're seeing in, uh, with Senator McConnell in the Senate. And I, I think it's a, I think it's a very powerful message that resonates. So one of the, the things I, I, I've wondered is how did you meet Joe Biden? Where, where did you, to, because I know you've been friends with him for a long time, but how, how'd that how that happen? Do you remember first meet? Yeah, no, I remember exactly. Uh, I was in law school. I was a second year law student, and uh, Joe had been a speaker at Law Day like two years before, I think, and just blew everybody away. He's a freshman senator, young, uh, and and so we we invited him down again for our speakers program. I was part of the committee. I was one of like three that helped work on that. And he came down and spoke. He and Jill had only been married about four or five months. And uh, she came down with him. And that is the first time. And I'll ne- I can remember the speech. I've got some photographs of it. Um, and, and it was just a remarkable speech. And it was the kind of speech that I thought, you know, if more people could speak like this, talk like this. And I'm not just talking about his eloquence, his straightforward look you in the eye tell you how he believes we'd be so much better off. And I thought, you know, this guy can make a great president. And uh, and after that, I just stayed in touch, you know, and it was about a year later. I went to Washington with Senator Heflin and he was on judiciary. And uh, and and we just kind of stayed in touch after that. But that first speech, you know, I was hooked. Was he did you know him during when you were a U.S. attorney or? Yeah, no, sure. I mean, I had I, I had worked at, as I was going to be. Uh, co-campaign chairman for Biden in Alabama in 1988 uh, when he ran. I I brought him to Birmingham. He spoke to the downtown Democratic Club, just blew them away. Um, He he spoke to um, that night we had the Young Men's Business Club used to do a thing uh, called the Citizen of the Year. I don't think they do it anymore. It's a smaller group. You know, that was the that was the club that Chuck Morgan gave the famous speech after the church bombing that basically got him run out of town when he was kind of indicting everybody uh, for the bombing of the church. And I brought him down for that. He spoke that night. Uh, He came over to the law office. So, you know, I had stayed in touch with him through the 80s. By 1988, I was going to be a co-chair of his campaign. And then um, it was really about it was you know, oh gosh, I guess it was like nine years later uh, that I ended up having the opportunity to be the U.S. attorney. So I'd called him. I met with him uh, and talked to him to make sure, you know, he could help, which he did with judiciary. Uh, So it's really just over the years, we just stayed in touch. And I would visit him on occasion when I was in D.C., especially, you know, there for a while when I was doing some work with uh, some defense lawyers, we would do some lobbying and uh, we'd meet. And then I worked on, you know, a couple of the, the Senate campaigns, tried to raise some money for him in his presidential runs. He was just always my number one pick, always my number one pick since I first met him in law school. 
Well, and, and you were, I remember too, just uh, early in the campaign when we had just gotten started and, and had, you know, no money in the bank, nothing happened and really uh, couldn't get a whole lot of folks attention. And, uh, but Joe came down and, uh, and campaigned in Alabama for you. It was, uh, and I was shocked cause I didn't, I was like, how did you, ha- how'd that happen? You know? Uh, but- <laughs> well, uh, you know, a lot of people were shocked, not that he came, but a lot of people were shocked that I invited him because in, you know, in Alabama, people had stayed so far away from, you know, folks on a national stage and I just think that has been a mistake in Alabama and throughout the South. I think that's why we've we've been hurting as far as a party is concerned in, in the Deep South. But, you know, Joe had always told me, you do something, I'll come down and campaign for you. I'll come down and campaign against you, whatever you, <laughs> whatever works best. But I, I just believed, and, and I, I believe it now, that Joe uh, resonates with a lot of people. He's been down here before. He just resonates with folks. And I just, uh, you know, it worked out great that day. There was a lot of people that day and a lot of people that wanted to get in that couldn't get in. Yeah, no, and he, I mean, I think he he cuts across. Uh, I, I agree with you. A lot of people, uh, we we haven't run in so many places in the state, in the South, I mean, and been competitive that, that most people have sort of a caricature of what they think a Democrat is because they haven't, we, we just haven't been competitive or had many folks like him come down. Um, but he, he, I, I think that's one of the problems uh, that's happening right now is the same thing when they attack you as, you know, uh, the crazy liberal um, it's it's just not what people think Joe Biden is, and it's it certainly you know doesn't work. I think on you when they when they do it. Well, um, it's just a it's just a checklist. It's the old school thing that it, it has worked in the past because no one really pushed back, and they except trying to be more like Republicans, and that just didn't work. I mean, it was just silly. You, you know, I think we've established something here. And if you look around the South, there's some really good candidates out there and a couple of governors that are establishing our own identity here. Yeah. So then, you know, the, the other thing I think about, not just the convention, but going back to our race in 2017, um, the African-American women uh, met so much. Uh, their energy and their belief in you and their uh, ability to organize and, and get that vote out and help you so much. And then to see the, you know, Kamala Harris and her, the you know, history of Biden picking her. Uh, and again, you know, so how's that? How's how do you feel connected to all that? And, and I know you're friends with her. So I just wanted to. Yeah, you know, I, I am. But I'll tell you, um, I, I never. I thought I would get a lot of support in 2017 in the in the black community in Alabama. But we really hit something. We really hit a nerve, I think, with some of the women in Alabama um, who have been active, who've been vocal in the past. But I think they never thought that they really truly had a voice and that even though I'm not a female, they believe that I had a voice for them. And I think we've done that. I think we've we showed that in the campaign. We showed that uh, since I've been sworn in. And the selection of Kamala is just the, the, the crown of, of all of this because she's been to Alabama a number of times, just like Joe. I told some folks today, I, you know, uh, to, to paraphrase Jim Clyburn, you know, Kamala knows Alabama and Alabama knows Kamala. 
And, you know, there is an excitement about her pick that is just palatable. I mean, you can feel it in, in the voices. You can hear it. And I will tell you, Joe, I, I don't, this hasn't gotten as much of a play as I think it should. She, Kamala mentioned it last night. But the fact that she is the first HBCU graduate, you know, a historically black college and university graduate to be nominated for president or vice president, that is a big deal to those folks. We have, and she and I have worked so hard together over the last couple of years to really lift the HBCUs and minority serving institutions uh, in this country, got them more money, got them permanent funding, um, trying to help with Pell Grants and all. That is, that is a major, major thing for, for HBCUs. They're graduates, they're faculty, and, and the students that are there right now. And you had a call yesterday with a lot of our HBCU presidents uh, and, and uh, administrative folks. And, you know, we had probably 30 on the call. We've got 14 HBCUs. And you could just feel the excitement coming through the Zoom call, coming through the computers. Uh, it's just amazing. That is a, that's a big deal. Yeah, no, in the sororities, I mean, you could just feel that yep. it's just amazing the the energy that's out there. Um, and I think it's going to, again, connect with so many who already were helping you, you know, in the 2017 race. It should, uh, I, I think it's, it was really, uh, I know it put a smile on, you, on your face when, well, uh, when she well got Well, it picked. did. And, you know, her, her selection in and of itself is historic, but for her selection, in this potential, you know, this moment in time, this historic moment in time, after the summer we're going through and, and, and all that we see in America right now of people standing up, speaking out, causing that good trouble that John Lewis used to talk about, it is especially significant. So one thing is uh, just to get sort of to the, you know, what's going on with, with McConnell and the, uh, and the just complete failure to, to, to do anything, you know, in, re, in recess, uh, where do you, I mean, what do you, what do you make of all that? I mean, what is going on there in terms, you know, how in the middle of this crisis do we not you know, have leadership in the Senate that's moving, you know, at least moving stuff forward so that people have, people are struggling out there. I just want to get your take on what, what, what you see happening and if, if we're going to get anywhere. The way I see this right now is that McConnell, one, he really can't exercise the leadership that one would think that the majority leader can. He puts things on the floor of the Senate that the president will sign. And if the president will sign it, you will know that most of his caucus is on board. And so that's, that's the whole thing. Aside from that, when he has problems within his own caucus, he really doesn't know what to do. He, and, and if the president is... Uh, pushing back on things, he refuses to exercise the leadership necessary to for the Senate to do its role, to, to fulfill its constitutional obligation. So, uh, you know, I, I just think the lack of leadership is what's causing this because, uh, you know, the president uh, and his chief of staff completely quit talking about uh, any new package to, on, on this COVID crisis. Instead, they're content to try to issue these executive orders. And I got to tell you, you know, all of Congress ought to be pushing back on the use of these executive orders the way Donald Trump is doing that. Um, but McConnell was not even in negotiations, Joe. He wasn't even there. This was the Secretary of the Treasury, Secretary Mnuchin, and Mark Meadows, the Chief of Staff to the, to the President, the Speaker of the House, and Senator Schumer. 
and you totally absent from these discussions was McConnell and uh, Kevin McCarthy from the Republican leadership in the House. So I, I can't determine what's going on, except I think he just takes marching orders at this point. And the marching orders coming from the administration is just don't do anything. We've got it. And it was same way with the criminal, you know, the law enforcement reform bills that were out there. Just don't worry about it. We've got it. And so McConnell just adjourned everybody. And he's, uh, you know, he must be feeling a little heat, Joe. I saw where he cha- challenged Amy McGrath to a debate. Yeah. Well, he he must be. He's feeling heat. Uh, I mean, the, the, that's one of the things, you know, they, they talk about how uh, our race, you know, they, they've got Alabama, uh, you know, they, they're checking that box off. But I know, uh, you know, that our polling has you uh, in, you know, in a virtual dead heat. It's a tough it's going to be a, a, a fight. But the way you know it's all, you, you know, that, that none of the what they're saying about their polling is true uh, is just the massive amounts of money that McConnell and his folks have have pumped into Alabama to attack you. I think we're up to like five, six million dollars in the last three or four in the last month, I think, um, that, you know, with the Club for Growth attacking you and uh, uh, the One Nation pack. It, it doesn't mesh. You know, why are they doing that? Why is McConnell no, putting agree. that much I, money into it? I completely agree with that. That, that. All of that started the day after the Republican runoff when Tommy Tuberville uh, was nominated, a guy that's not even lived in Alabama, but for about 18 months. Um, it started that day and it has been relentless and they would not do that unless they were seeing the same thing that we we've been seeing that this is not an easy pickup. This is not something that they can just uh, take away. This is something that they know. Uh, because let me tell you, as, as failed of leadership as he is, McConnell knows what I've been able to do in the United States Senate with members of his caucus. And, and that's a big thing. He knows what my record is. That's why you see these attack ads that try to completely distort my record. It's why he put certain uh, votes up there for me to take. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. We, we're, we're raring to go. And, and, the, and the fact is, he really, I don't think, fully appreciates how weak a candidate uh, that re- the Republicans have nominated in Alabama. Yeah, well, hopefully uh, he's going to find that out and send uh, Tuberville uh, back to his real home in Florida. But, you know, we've been able to keep up uh, and we're on the air now. But a lot of that's um, because of folks out there, you know, who have really responded. I mean, in the face of the the national McConnell dark money um, that's been, you know, you know, been thrown up against uh, against us. Um, I just, I just continue to find it remarkable. Happened in 2017. It's and so far it's sustaining us. It's like you know we you, you look over the horizon, hoping the cavalry will come in, and it it turns out the cavalry are all those folks out there uh, that are sending that ten twenty dollars. But they're they're keep we're in this thing. Um, and I think you know you're right. You have this uh, you know twenty the twenty one uh, bills that you bipartisan, you worked across the other line, across lines with Republicans, got it done. President Trump actually signed them all into law. Um, but McConnell and the dark money guys are going to run ads, um, that are, you know, that, that, that say, 
the exact opposite of all that. The, you're, you're, it's just amazing. But so far, no, it's, I, that, I just don't think those things will stick. Just the same kind of attacks against Joe Biden. Um, I don't think people are going to it's going to register with with them. But how can um, listeners um, uh, help you, uh, Doug? I mean, I want to give you that the, the, the opportunity to talk uh, about what people can do to to help us. And uh, as we uh, as we go through this campaign. Well, you know, Joe, is uh, in order to, to fight this stuff, we've got to stay up uh, with our media. It's not just the it's not just the paid media on the networks and the cable news uh uh, you know, that's out there that we've got to do. And we're, we've got to, we now know with this dark money coming in that we're going to have to stay up through the election, which is not something that we had wanted to do. We started in July and those are, that's expensive. Even in Alabama, it's going to cost a good bit of money. Yep. Uh, look for everyone. To, if you really want to help out, go to dougjones.com slash help. That's the best way you could help us and, and give us, you know, whatever you can contribute, whatever you can, you know, people, uh, you know, Tuberville and all these guys want to criticize uh, out-of-state contributions, but I guarantee you, in the next um, in the next reporting, he's going to have quite a few out-of-state contributions because it's just not in Alabama. We just don't have the kind of money that is going to be able to sustain us that stay within the law. And the fact of the matter is, Joe, you know, we got sustained so much in 2017, and we have been uh, in this race from folks at that low dollar level uh, from around the country, all 50 states, because I think folks are seeing that the that there are so many opportunities uh, in the South, whereas, you know, Democrats just neglected us down here for such a long time. And our parties got kind of stagnant down here. But now there are such opportunities when you just look around and they and they see they saw our race in 2017 as uh, as hope. I mean, that's what you heard. That's what I heard more than any other phrase that this the Alabama race in 2017 gave people hope at a time where Donald Trump had been in the office about a year. Things were not looking great. People were concerned about where the country was going and the people of Alabama rose up. It was a close election, even against, you know, that guy we were running against. But it gave so many people hope that if they get out, if they contribute, if they invest, and that's the key that I've been telling people, the investment in races like mine and across the South are so important to play the long ball game that Republicans have been playing for years. That's what we've got to do. So I think that's important. You know, we're, we're doing some get out the vote through the Doug Jones Victory Fund with our party, which we were able to, to work with. That's always a, a, a good place to go. And we're looking at a couple of things. Hopefully there's going to be some other folks that are helping us register, re-register and get out the votes, uh, you know, working with that coordinated campaign. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you about the, how that win um, really triggered people to start thinking about investing and, and gave them hope that uh, the that, that we could win in, in, in places like Alabama. You look at, at Georgia now um, where, you know, that. That's competitive, and, and and a lot of races across the South are starting to be more competitive. And, I, and for sure, the party in Alabama has gotten a lot stronger um, post uh, the win and, and what you've been working on. Um, so the, the one thing, uh, Alex, who the listeners know well, um, wanted to, us to, to 
talk war stories for a minute here. Uh, <laughs> so the question, you know, uh, and so some of these are a little awkward to ask, but I guess I'll start with what's the worst advice I ever gave you? Oh, my God. Lots of the it. Worst ad- I, that, you know, Joe, let me let me go to my file cabinet over here. Um, I don't know what the top 10. I mean, look, I, you know, we've you know, the thing about us, we, we've we've argued back and forth. Um, but I, I think as you got to know me, as you got to know Alabama a little bit better. And of course, that it helped when we had our dear friend Giles Perkins, yeah. who, who, you know, was was suffering with cancer during the 2017 campaign. And yeah. Then, and then it died about a year after I was sworn in. He helped navigate that because he was the he was kind of the arbiter. I mean, he would just basically cut to the chase, make the decision. We'd move on and say, "Sure, Giles, what you know, what the hell?" Um, but yeah, I I, you him. know, I, I can't. I don't think there's been. I couldn't catalog any worse advice, Joe, because <laughs> uh, everything is. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I know you're laughing, but I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean that. Uh, everything that you've said for me and Louise and my family, you know, we've listened, we've uh, we've talked about it, and we've been able to talk it through. There are things that probably, uh, if we had to go back over, that you would probably do different. There'd be there's certainly things that I would do different. There was a, a like a Chuck Todd interview early on that comes to mind with me. Um, there's a number of things like that, but. You know, the, the thing I don't think people really fully appreciate about their 2017 race is that how quickly it was. I mean, I announced in May, you came down on my birthday, you know, yep. and we, we had dinner with our friends and made that decision in May. And by August, I had the nomination. And by December, we got elected. And that's we were winging it, man. I mean, we, yeah. it, we were flying by the seat of our pants with hardly any money until the fall. And then things just started to gel for us. But I will say what kept us going, we had these young kids with virtually no experience running around the, you know, just a few of them running around the headquarters. But what kept us going was how how many people that wherever we were going, that's what was shocking to both of us. That wherever we went, there were just these crowds that would come up and talk and say, we've got a voice. Thank you for running. Remember that? Thank yeah. you for running was the, the main thing. And it just it just spurred everybody on. I mean, so, you know, Joe, I wouldn't embarrass you on your own podcast <laughs> by the worst advice. Okay. <laughs> now, the, you know, the the thing I wasn't even sure you were going to run after we had that dinner for, you know, we, we <laughs> talked about it and it, you said you wanted to think about it. But uh uh, but but it, you do realize you realize now. I was just saying that for Louise's sake. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, Giles, Giles, and Doug Turner had me hooked about a, three weeks earlier than that, and I was I was ready to roll. I've been wanting. This is something that I've been waiting on, you know, for a long time. Yeah, well, we were, we were really fortunate that you you, you went and uh, and we had all that support and 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 uh, and you know it it was a close, tough one. Uh, but we uh, we proved them all wrong uh, last time. And and the one thing I want to do my favorite memory, because it tells me it says something about you. I remember the election night. We were so far back and we came roaring at the end in <laughs> uh, one. And I remember Giles and Turner, and I cornering you before you went out there and saying, look, the whole country's watching. Thank everybody at the end. Uh, you know, go out, right. you know, 
and, and, and wait and thank everybody at the end. And you, 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 I now I know you uh, really well, so I know that look when you sort of nod yes and you're not going to do it. And so the first thing, <laughs> first thing you did was went out there and thanked everybody. And that's, I mean, that's how, I mean, it was just a, a really, I remember just smiling just because you, you know, you were going to do it, you do what you wanted to do, which was how you ran the entire way. I mean, even the common ground stuff, um, the insistence that we, um, that we, we, we try to, to reach out and bring people in, which I do think is a big part of the convention. Uh, that, yeah. That's what, what's sort of interesting to me is that, is that um, yeah, people are, you know, why, why is Kasich speaking at our convention? But it was this, a lot of that was the same kind of reaction we were starting to get in the early beginning when we talked about, uh, you know, coming across and finding common ground. But I think people are realizing it really is chaos versus community, um, and I think that's part of what your message was. And without I, that was we never articulated that th- th- that way. But I think it, it's it's something that sort of stuck with me since you mentioned it. And that I think we're seeing at the convention um, yeah. as well. Well, you know, I, I, I remember that night, too. And, you know, I had followed that advice, you know, because we were sweating it as to whether or not I'd end up in a runoff on the primary. And we ended up doing so well. Uh, and I knew that the TV cameras were there and, and, and I still had a race to one. But in December, you know, I'd won and I knew the I knew the TV cameras were going to be and they were going to cut in. But, you know, I, it, it, there was no way in the world. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> no way. You know, sometimes I still get um, a little bit emotional. Yeah, it was a memory. That was a, just an incredible night. But you know, Joe, the other thing too that that I give you and Giles and Turner a lot of credit for with me. The one thing that the one real thing that we insisted. We talked about common ground. We talked about civility. But the one thing that Louise and I insisted on is that we would not just follow polling. We we could craft messages, but you know, we had a message that we felt like needed to be said, uh, that for voices that had not been heard from a long time, and if we were to ever start building a, a party back and a movement back, you know, we ran the race with Louise and I being who we are and what we stand for, and that resonated a lot too, I think. And yeah. that was, that's for, for old political consultants like yourself, that's not easy I know to have somebody that insists on, uh, you know, I'll listen to your polling and I'll help craft the message as long as the message is what I am, I believe and what I say. And we're still doing that. And that's why that's another reason why I think we'll win again in November. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I totally agree with how hard it is to work for somebody who feels that way sometimes, but, uh, we, we, it works, it works because, uh, uh, I, I mean, I think a lot of politics today is being authentic and um, you and Louise had an authentic message and we and, and actually all the kidding aside, it's a lot easier um, to work with someone who knows who they are and what they want to say and what they stand for. Um, so uh, we got a lot of work to do between now and November. Yeah. Uh, yep. Thank you for 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 joining uh, and being on the podcast. And for all you listeners out there, you can support um, 
Senator Doug Jones re-election campaign, if you, uh, if you can, by going to DougJones.com backslash help. Um, it'd really be appreciated. And uh, thank you. Thank you, Joe. So thanks for listening to this special bonus episode of That Trippy Show. Uh, please leave us a five-star review. And if you have a question, put it in the reviews on iTunes. Um, we try to answer them. And if you could help out with Doug's campaign, it'd mean a lot to me and Alex. We'll go back to Friday as usual this week. And I promise you, Alex, who did he chime in at all? Alex will definitely be sharper by then. 